Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything that you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that's going to effortless unite your in-person and online sales into just one source of truth. You're going to be able to track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. You could connect with customers inline and online. And Shopify, it's going to help you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns. So we're talking about TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or you can use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for battle tested solutions. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. I say do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash headspace. That's all lowercase. So you're going to go to shopify.com slash headspace to take your retail business to the next level today. I'm going to say it one more time. Shopify.com slash headspace. Hi, folks. Robin here. And I am just letting you know that we are on a little headspace vacation at the moment. Don't worry. We are not leaving you. Instead, we are sharing a few of our favorite episodes. And we will be back on Tuesday, September 12th, kicking things off with a back to school mindful parenting episode. Woo! Have you ever wished you had a wise meditation teacher on speed dial? Someone you can call after a long day. Someone you could lean on for their advice. Someone to listen and help you to see things differently. Welcome to Dear Headspace. Hello, friends. It is time for another episode of Dear Headspace, which I am so excited about, a podcast where I sit down with a Headspace meditation teacher and we answer your questions. I'm Robin Hopkins, and today I am joined by the lovely and talented Sam Snowden. And I I do love the alliteration of your name, I must say. (laughs) That's why I've kept it. (laughs) Just for me, right? (laughs) The alliteration. There's something to be said about it. It does. It it wasn't about me. It was about the alliteration. Okay, okay. (laughs) Sam, I did want to say, we're going to be talking a lot about feelings today. Do you consider yourself to be an emotional person? You know, though I do, I do have to preface it by saying I think that word has been sort of co-opted to be a pejorative, you know, especially toward women. But what do you think about that? <laughs> well, I, I definitely think that I'm a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. But I think because I tend to be more emotional, I really appreciate rationality. Oh, that's interesting. You know, yeah, I seek it out. I, I really like hanging out with hyper-rational people, people that aren't that emotional. It, it helps ground me. Well, I mean, Sam, I mean, I feel like we're all warmed up yeah, <laughs> and we're ready absolutely. to talk about feelings, emotions, and, and maybe we're even going to dip our toes into self-love. I mean, we're going to see what happens today. 
because our questions are about issues that arise during body scans, struggling to form close friendships, and overcoming the feeling that you're not enough. Well, these are good questions, Sam. Mm. Let's kick this off with our very first question. Okay, here we go. Dear Headspace, when I'm doing a body scan, I imagine a light like a copier scanning down my body from head to toe. And although this scan is in my thoughts and not a physical action, sometimes I will reach a spot on my body where the scan will get stuck and I cannot progress my scan past that spot. Does this happen to other people too? If so, what does it mean? Thank you. Okay, I I have to say this, Sam. I love this question so much because I think any kind of notes or thoughts that you get on meditation from somebody or from like a book or whatever, they're never going to delve into these little idiosyncrasies that happen to a, a particular person. And I have to imagine that that happens to other people. Absolutely. I too love this question because it shows that she's really putting in the time and effort and and becoming more mindful, right? Just noticing yeah. that tendency and being with it and still greeting it with curiosity. Yeah. We think that there's an ideal way of doing something. And then if we're falling short of that ideal, then we're doing it wrong. But yeah, I would say the very opposite, that this happens often. It's happened with me as well. Do you mean like the, the actual copier type sensation thing or the getting stuck at a point in your body? Happens? Getting stuck at a point in my body. Yeah, okay. I was going to back up and kind of describe what the body scan is because there's lots of ways to approach it. You can use visualization like the copy scanner image. You can imagine just kind of, um, you know, I remember that show. What was it called? The Magic School Bus. Do you oh, remember yeah, that yeah, show yeah. where they shrink yeah. and they go into the body? Um, yeah. You can imagine like a, a light from within kind of shining and lighting up these different parts of your body as you move through the body. But what's amazing about it is that you'll f discover sensations that you didn't even know were there. Mm. You know, we can't pay attention to everything at once. We We really can only pay attention to one thing at a time. And if our minds are consumed with what we have to do throughout the day and just the busyness of the day grips us in so many ways, it's easy to ignore the body and what's going on in the body. Yeah. So my experience with this, you know, sometimes I, I'll get, and I wouldn't even call it stuck, it's like my body telling me that it wants to spend more time in that area. Maybe there's some tension that's very resistant to letting go. Yeah. Right. And it just needs that kind of loving, open awareness to be with it, you know, until it is ready to open or it's ready to let go. So it could be like her instinct saying, like, you stay there. You're not yes, ready to move on. Exactly. And that would be my advice just to stay there uh, for as long as your body really listening to the body, letting letting the body dictate the pace of your body scan. Yeah. And then when you're when you are staying on one area, I like to imagine that you're breathing in and out through that area. So let's say the the scanner wants to stay on my abdomen. Right. So I'm imagining that I'm sending my breath to the abdomen and just listening, just noticing and trying to name or mentally note sensations that are there like tingling, tightness, fullness, whatever you notice. And then in its own time the body will shift to the next spot. I'm I wouldn't say like 
new to body scan. Like I understand the concept. I've I've done some, but like you mentioned, ten minutes, twelve minutes. I think I always just was under the impression that it's a quicker process. Like when Kesanga has referenced it for the stop acronym, and I'm picturing. I'm in, I wouldn't say crisis, but I'm at a moment where I need to halt my behavior. And maybe I don't have 12 minutes. Does Is it always that long? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at like MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, the body scans in the traditional sense can go, you know, past an hour. But of course, they can be adapted to whatever amount of time you have. So in the example of STOP, you're usually you're using stop um, in the moment where you need to take a pause in the middle of your busy day. So the body scan would really be centered on what parts of your body are most noticeable, right? If I just um, almost got cut off by a car on the freeway and I do stop, of course, with eyes open, um, yeah. and then I observe, Please. I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be observing maybe my teeth clenched, maybe my mm. heart rate went up, maybe I got really tight in my shoulders. So you might notice three or four spots and just mindfully, kindly, compassionately noticing what happened or what's happening, that tension tends to settle on its own where you don't really have to do anything extra. It's just the the act of kind attention and awareness is enough to let the body feel safer again, to re, yeah. uh, reaffirm its safety. Okay, so, I mean, for our callers, essentially, stay put. Yeah. Let it be stuck and, and breathe into it and just keep seeing what shows up for you. Is there anything else you would recommend for her? Yeah, well, I, I actually thought of, I brought a quote in because I was thinking about this idea of how we can sometimes get too attached to techniques. You know, we do teach yeah. a lot of techniques in the app and and just in the world of mindfulness because, I mean, there's, there's a great usefulness for that in that you know you have tools and the yeah. tools need a name, right? It's like yeah. very useful and helpful to know this is a, a body scan and this is how I use it and this is when I can use it. But sometimes we get too attached to the outcome of the technique. We get attached to getting somewhere or accomplishing calm or accomplishing a sense of ease. And then we get rigidly attached to that and and that builds resistance. Right. So it's important to remember that, you know, that the practice, whatever technique you're using, the practice again and again is about the relationship that you're developing with yourself. It's really about noticing when resistance or expectation or attachment arises and then going, oh, I, I mean, the first thing I do is greet it with compassion and just go, of course you want to feel calmer. Of course yeah. you want to be happier. <laughs> of course, you know, sweetheart or whatever term of endearment <laughs> works for you. But that helps automatically just loosen some of that resistance and some of that striving to make something yeah. happen. And I just brought a quote in from the Self-Compassion Workbook by Kristen Neff. Um, can I read it? It's a short yeah, one? Yeah, please. Okay. She said, all techniques are destined to fail because whenever our practice becomes a technique designed to manipulate our moment-to-moment -moment experience to make us feel better and make the pain go away, it becomes a hidden form of resistance. Wow, that's really powerful. Right? Well, and that's just why I love questions like these, you know, about the meditation stuff, even though we talk about lots of stuff on, on this podcast, just because I think it's so easy to feel like you're doing it wrong or whether it be technique or whether it be outcome or whether it be process or you know, it's just that is in and of itself the whole thing, or at least that's what it seems like to me as a person who's trying to figure this out. It's it's hard and it's easy to get swept up in all that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Another layer of this I was thinking about is how resistance shows up in our day-to-day life. You know, whether it's an emotion that we really don't want to feel, it's inconvenient, it's, you know, we notice resistance to it, or we have a cold, you know, the flu or Mm -hmm. we're sick, that that same level of curiosity and openness and Mm -hmm. kindness to notice the resistance as it arises. And it's kind of like showing up for that good friend, but doing it for yourself, like letting, letting your body and your mind let go of resistance in its own time and you just sitting by with that kind, open, compassionate attention and that permission, giving yourself yeah. permission to feel what you're feeling. All right, let's let's head into our second question. Dear Headspace, I'm 26 years old and I've struggled with maintaining friendships with my girlfriends as an adult. I'm a super social person and I love meeting people, but I find it hard to form deeper level friendships. First, meeting someone is always easy and fun, but at some point I put up a wall and I tell myself that people don't really care to talk about what I want to talk about, so I start to avoid one-on-one hangouts. I live in Miami and a lot of people really like the city life, but I love nature and outdoor adventurous activities, so I don't feel connected to a lot of people here in that way. People think I have a lot of friends, but I would say I have just a few and I haven't had a best friend in years. I crave deeper friendships, and I don't know what is stopping me or how to get out of my own way. I meditate daily, and I try to show up authentically to friendships, but they always end up feeling forced on my end, or like they hit a wall, and we never push past to become good friends. Any advice? This is a really good question. It is. It is. I have so many thoughts on it, but I'm curious. Do you relate to any part of that question, Robin? I, I do, but it's a really particular part of it. I, I do think often if if I'm the center of something, I have to kind of look at wh- why is the wall coming up? Do you not want to be hurt? Are you are you stopping friendships before they become too close because you don't want to be vulnerable or, or intimate? Because I think friendships can be every bit as intimate as partnerships, as romantic oh, relationships. Yeah. That's my that's my initial thought. I mean, what do you yeah, think? Absolutely. Yeah, so I um just personally I've I've been kind of the um kind of, not the opposite, but I'm very quick to get deep with people. Like I'll start yeah. asking them deep <laughs> questions before we've even <laughs> exchanged like our full names. Um you know, that's my way. I learned this a while ago about coping mechanisms. We all have ways of coping when there's social anxiety present. Yeah. And my way of coping is to get deep really fast because I know that's my safe space. Like I know how to be with people when they're revealing vulnerable parts of themselves and I know how to reveal vulnerable parts of myself. So that's a place where I know how to be. For you, it sounds like humor is your is your safe space. You know, you can engage that way on that wavelength. You know that like you trust your ability to find the humor in a situation. And so it's like what you you fall back on when there's yeah. anxiety present. So just being aware of that. And I, I think coping mechanism kind of is a bad name for what it is. It's like we're designed to adjust and adapt th- from the moment we're born, right? Yeah. And so a coping mechanism is a way, is an adaptation. It's a, it's an adaptation to our environment. And I don't know anyone who doesn't have some level of social anxiety because, and I remind myself of this all the time, friendships and relationships are everything. 
they're really, yeah. to me, I mean, you may not, others may not value them as much or value other things, and that's fine. But to me, relationships are the crux of my existence. And yeah. when you think of it like that, it's like, oh, yeah, the stakes are high for friendships. The stakes are high for being liked. That's like a, a very, of course, it's important to you, right? comes back to that voice of kindness within, just affirming, affirming. Of course, you want a deep friendship. Of course, you want a best friend. Yeah. Um, that's a lovely thing to want. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing needy about it. There's not, you don't have to judge yourself for wanting more friends. Just affirming that and realizing, like just getting more familiar with what your defense or coping mechanisms are and letting go of the charge that comes with those terms, because that can get in the way of looking deeper as well. It, and it's funny because I was just thinking if this was another podcast that wasn't Dear Headspace, it, we might just be like laying out, you know, well, have you thought about joining groups that have like minded? You know, you said you like to hike and you said you like outdoorsy. So maybe you do some some meetups with folks who hike trails. But I mean, it's it's likely not about that. It's likely about the deeper underneath thing of either being afraid on some level or, or, you know, there's some protection mechanism that's probably happening. It sounds like, yeah, like there's a reason we do them, but you need to have choice to let the wall down, to let people in too, if you, if you want to. Exactly. Yeah. I I think of the situation that I was in, in New York, um, when I was in grad school and I felt it was a big shift for me and I was going to meditation groups and I was doing all the internal work. Um, and I felt myself wanting the city to change, you know, this like irrational uh, belief that like I could Like in will. what way? Like it was too loud? It was too... I was at too everything. Yeah. People weren't nice enough. <laughs> too much. <laughs> it was too it loud. Was too it was too Coke Zero. It was too exactly, much. <laughs> exactly. Too caffeinated. But mostly, <laughs> mostly it was about like people not initiating contact with me. I was waiting the I was waiting for the world to come to me and to for for friendships to be forged by others toward me, right? There was this yeah. waiting and this wanting from others. Yeah. The I was meditating one day and this thought came to me as I was breathing in and out and following my breath and the the thought was if you want love, give love. If you want love, give love. Oh, that's a lovely thought. Yeah, yeah. And it just started to, this whole like vision of what I needed to do appeared to me. And it was like, I need to say hello. I need to like step one, say hi to people. Um, You know, initiate, initiate, initiate. And that became my MO for the next year that I was there. I would spend extra time with baristas and just asking about their day and how who they are, getting to know them, making, I, I started a study group after one of my favorite classes because I could tell we didn't have enough time to process the material. So I was like, oh, yeah. if anyone wants to stay, we'll talk more about what we just learned. That shift in orientation to giving instead of waiting to receive was really helpful for me and it changed the whole tone of the city. Well, it's also like, what was your intention before your intention was leaning back and, and, yes. and observing and judging everyone? And then you shifted your intention to like an intentional, I'm going to connect with people. And lo and behold, you connected with people. Yeah, yeah. And and know that for some people, it can be an uphill battle to make that transition from yes. leaning back to going forward because it relates to our temperament. And temperament yes. is something that is deeply ingrained in us from the moment we're born. It's very genetically influenced, you know, about 50 yeah. percent. Uh, and then the rest is our environment. 
so just to know, I say that not be, not to say that you're stuck in your temperament, like I yeah. felt I was, but to realize that for some people it might look easy. It might look really easy for them to initiate conversations and to forge friendships. But, you know, for me and for others, it's really hard. And to yeah. be really gentle with yourself and honor your efforts. You know, at the end of a meditation, almost every time I meditate, I'll just take a few moments to say, Sam, you really did a good job today. And I'll just honor <laughs> Like what eff- little efforts I made, you know? And to our caller, like good luck out there. It it is hard and it can be lonely. Um, but I don't know. Sam and I are out here and we are uh, we're we're sending energy your way and and people are coming. Yeah, just absolutely. push your push your body first. <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so let's go to our last question from Robbie. Hi, my name is Robbie. I am from um, Ontario, Canada, and I have a question about how to uh, kind of combat thoughts of not feeling enough, or as I call it, enough, not enough isms. <laughs> I have a disability. I am totally blind. And there are a lot of times in my, you know, day-to-day life where I think, you know, I'm not enough or I don't deserve to have X, Y, and Z because of my disability. And those are just thoughts that I hate, but they're there and they suck. <laughs> and I was just wondering if you had any advice on how I can kind of combat them because they're not very healthy and they take up a lot of my time and my day. And so uh, if you had any advice, that would be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. And uh, love this podcast and love Headspace in general. So thank you guys so much. Oh, thank you, Robbie. <sighs> and thank you for uh, trusting us with this you know, thoughtful and important question. Yeah. You know, one of the first things that came to mind was, um, or what stood out to me was the word combat and how when we are hit with a barrage of thoughts that we don't want to have, it can feel like this battle is happening within us and that it's take, he said it just right. And I've experienced this myself. Like you feel like so much of your vital energy is being taken up by this battle. Yeah. So many of these automatic negative thoughts that we experience are not ones we chose to have. Right. And that's where there's some confusion, right? Because we start to identify with them and we start to feel like we're bad people or not worthy people because we're having them. Where it's really just an experience that's been put on your shoulders without you wanting them to. That alone, that fact alone can really open our hearts to compassion toward ourselves. Because we right. know that we're we're not asking for this. We know we we didn't do anything wrong. Um, these are just thoughts that are that our brain is creating out of fear. And I, you know, I've I've been around you all enough to hear you talk about stories that we create about ourselves too. It feels like there's something in. The, I mean, obviously, Robbie has there are facts like Robbie has a disability, but then a story is created about what he deserves or what he doesn't deserve. Yeah. So it's really helpful to identify a story. Um, Sometimes uh, the word I've started using lately is drama. My mind will create some story and I'll go, wow, that was dramatic. It's like you're (laughs) and not with like criticism, not with a tone of criticism, but you're kind of matching the tone of like an observational with your own observational 
like intensity. It has to match the intensity of the of the thought. Almost like you're one of the Muppet judges up in the stand, <laughs> like commenting on the show that's happening. Exactly. Exactly. So you have this inner observer. We have we all have it. We all have a prefrontal cortex, which gives us the ability to observe instead of react to, you know, see what's happening within us. That what's called metacognition the awareness of our own thoughts. And what a wonderful thing to have. But it does need to be developed as far or, or strengthened in most of yeah. us. So one way of strengthening that is to greet what's happening with this by, you know, the way you kind of hold your knee when you slam your knee against a table. Yeah. It's that same yeah. impulse to go, but it's happening in our head, right? So we can't right. like really touch it. <laughs> but <laughs> like, ow! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I mean, sometimes I will do that. I'll actually just put a hand on my forehead and go, wow, that hurts. That really hurt. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the first step of self-compassion is the acknowledgement of the either a ping, what I call a ping, which is like a light little difficult thought to a bomb, which is like, wow, you just dropped a nuclear bomb in my head. That was hard. That was really hard. You know, so the tone changes depending on how intense the thought was, how difficult the thought was. So that's, that's the first step that's triaging the difficult experience is to notice and to say, wow, that was hard to feel. But I think in that moment, though, don't you have to be able to, you have to be able to separate out fact from fiction, in that scenario, though, right? Because otherwise, because like, how can you observe yeah. the thought if you if you believe the story? That's a really good point. So, but what comes first is if we have an emotion, and this you can think about this with parenting. If a child is having a tantrum, you don't right. reason with them at that point. You wait until they've calmed down. Well, I do, but those are not my <laughs> proudest parenting moments, Sam. So thank you very much. Do, I, has it worked? I mean, has it worked okay? No, or? never. Not <laughs> once. Yeah, it doesn't work. And because our brain, the the connection between our prefrontal cortex and our amygdala is, is like temporarily severed. The communication yeah. is cut off. And so we need to, in order to reestablish that communication, which gives us the ability to access compassionate self-talk. The emotion itself has to come down. It has right. to it has to um, resolve to a certain level. It doesn't have to go down to zero, but it does have to come down from like a 10. So step one is acknowledging the pain, acknowledging the, the ouch, and then exploring what is it like in your body? What was the impact on your heartbeat, on your face, on your stomach? You know, sometimes we get that tense digestion literally like slows down or halts because blood is being sent to our extremities to prepare us to run or fight. So letting your body kind of come down off that that intensity as well. And then once once you feel or sense that you're relatively calm or you're calmer, then you can start to uh, work with the thought itself. So you can ask yourself, is this thought true? And then right. You can ask again, is this thought absolutely true or are there are there exceptions? Yeah, that's a nice distinction. Yeah. And it starts to break up the the rigid attachment to the thought being true. And we start to see like, wait, actually, there are many reasons why I'm worthy of having friendships or I am a good person. I do good things a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, You start to disprove the story or unravel the story so that you see more truth instead of um, the drama that's behind it. It's almost like you're just picking apart the thread, like you're becoming a detective against yourself. Yeah. 
And I like to think of it as zooming out, too, to take in the whole picture. When we have these um, really difficult thoughts, we tend to get narrowly focused. And then it's like our brain will come up with a lot of evidence. Like I imagine little animals coming out of the forest mm-hmm. to gather around the thought. It'll be like, oh, <laughs> well, I can find evidence for all of that. Yeah, 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 that is true. You don't deserve that because of this. And you didn't park, you parked in a red spot the other day. And da, 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 it like comes up with all these yeah. reasons. But if you zoom out and go, okay, well, what else is true? Like, what else is true about who I am? And then the little critters come out, the little evidence monsters come out to support that story, right? Well, and I don't know about you, Sam, or Robbie, for that matter, but I have like a greatest hits album of the things that I say to myself that are mean. It's like track one is this mean thing. (laughs) Track two is this. Oh, here's the slow ballad (laughs) about my weight, my looks, my success rates, my parenting. And I feel like that might be an indicator that you're in a space and you're not being logical and you're being mean to yourself because you're hitting one of those same themes that you regularly do. Yeah, exactly. The the top 10 favorite yeah. hits, right? You, <laughs> exactly. And that's so beautiful being able to recognize that and playfully see it that way too because it means that you're separating. You're you're able to separate from the automatic thoughts that your mind creates to to get a bigger picture and to observe it with this with the wise mind, right? Yeah. The part of you that knows that our brain in a lot of ways, functions like a really dumb computer. It just kind of, it's programmed a certain way and then it conforms to the programming that it's been, uh, you know, accustomed to. And and then it spits out data that we yeah. either, that we may not like. So if we can observe that process instead of believing it right away, then we're in a really good spot. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I always think of like that phrase of like, everything is okay as it is, like not me, you know, and that's something that I feel like I'll be striving for for my entire life because I'm always like, I'll be good when I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'll be, I'll be happier, joyful and free when I'm here, when I'm there versus enjoying the process and being in the moment of where you are and, and feeling like everything is okay just as it is. I think there's a bigger existential component too that I relate to with anxiety. Like, There were times where I didn't understand why I was suffering so much and Mm. I was really resistant to it. And I thought I would say to myself, like, I would actually pray. I don't subscribe to any specific religion, but I would just go, please, universe, make this useful. Make this suffering worth something so that maybe it helps me help someone else later. And it does. But I feel like we need to trust that this is happening for other reasons or that other people could be touched in a way that we don't even know about, right? Like maybe my story is helping someone else and letting that soothe you to a certain extent. Or that there'll be growth that you don't know that you can't yes. see right now. You exactly. know, because it's funny, Sam, that you said that, like, I remember my my angsty 20s I and I don't subscribe to a particular God or religion either. And I remember looking up the ceiling and being like, why? Why? You know, yeah. and, and and thinking that, you know, from like my childhood to, you know, just like why, when and thinking like, when is it my turn? When is it my turn? And that was something, oh my God, I'm getting upset. But that was something that was like deep and real, but in no way, shape or form helpful because I was not... I was fighting, like we've been talking about resistance this entire episode, fighting, fighting and 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 wanting something to be different and, and thinking I could make it or build it or push the rock up the hill versus just releasing into it. And I am here and this is where I'm at. What can I do with this? Yeah. 
Robbie, you, I mean, mm. you, you brought us deep, Robbie. So thank you. Mm. All right, Sam, that, that was our last question. Uh, as always, the questions were fantastic. And, and Sam, I just, I love when I get the opportunity to, to go on this little roller coaster ride with you because it's just, I do feel like we have an experience and we go through it and, and everybody's questions are exactly what we needed to hear and what we needed to talk about. It's so true. Yeah, I look forward to this, you know, that when I see it pop up on my calendar, I'm I'm already excited. And as I'm thinking about all the questions that were asked today, I think the courses that we have on self-compassion are incredibly helpful. And a lot of our content, if not all of our content, incorporates some level of body awareness, you know, some level of body scanning. And so getting in the habit of doing that and trying it out with different lengths and and from our different teachers so that you get a sense of all these different ways of approaching it, I think could be really helpful. Absolutely wonderful. And just to say to everyone who's out there listening, if you have a question and you want us to answer it, it, it's so simple. All you have to do is head over to sayhi.chat slash Dear Headspace. You follow the prompts, you record your question. And if we use your question on the show, then you are going to get three months of Headspace for you or a loved one. Yeah, that's awesome. And so before we leave you, we want to offer a transition from this moment to the next in your day. So we've built in some time so you can just take in what you heard. And this is really a moment to let your mind do whatever it wants to do. So today we're leaving you with the peaceful sounds of laundry. Like I love laundry (laughs) mats. So I'm really excited about this. That's right. So till next time, stay happy, stay healthy. And please be kind to each other. Yes. And to yourself. Yes.
Dear Headspace is a Headspace Studios original podcast. It's produced by Robin Hopkins, Ash Jones, and Scott Sorensen. It's executive produced by Morgan Selzer, Sarah Cohn, Baron Farmer, and Danny Christamy. It's hosted and produced by Robin Hopkins, Kesanga Giscombe, Dora Kamau, Samantha Snowden, Eve Lewis Prieto, and Rosie Acosta. Post-production is by Dan Kroll. Music is by Scott Sorensen and Chris Merguia. And a special thanks to Colleen Lutz. <laughs> <laughs>